Joining us now from Vegas is Ken Bulky. Good morning, Ken. Hello. Are you excited to talk to Bruce Cassidy today? Um, yeah, I think so. I've only heard good things about him, so yeah. Wow, only heard good things about him. That's no fun. Well, I mean, I mean like as a person. I mean, oh. like he's supposed to be an awesome guy with the media, I mean. Okay. Is he going to say anything good today? Um, yeah, usually these are pretty good. You know, I, I feel like I, I always walk away from coach introductory press conferences saying, oh, that guy's pretty good. All right. I, I pay a lot more attention to college basketball coach introductory press conferences, and there's like a checklist of things that they all say. Like they want to play with tempo. They're going to um, have a great family atmosphere. Uh, and there's one other thing I can't remember, but there's like a checklist of things. What's the checklist of things a hockey coach has to say so that everybody likes him after his introductory press conference? They have to quickly declare that they're here to win the Stanley Cup which I'm not entirely sure why we have to do that. I thought that was <laughs> obvious, but that has to that has to happen within the first. I don't know if there's going to be an open statement, but he's got to say that quickly. Uh, we have to be hard to play against. Oh. I think they, they like the term like swarming or pressure or, you know, terms that uh, don't really mean all that much. They love those. I'm trying to think of it. There's another one. I think that's probably it. Okay. That's the, those will be good ones. We got a checklist here of what Bruce Cassidy will actually say. All right. On what Bruce Cassidy has done as a coach, uh, two parts of this. I'll ask you the first one here. Does the lack of postseason success matter? He's was with Boston, great regular season team, but they only ever made one deep run in the postseason loss in the cup final. Does that matter when the golden Knights are hiring a coach that, Hey, we haven't actually gotten all the way there. Let's hire a guy that also hasn't actually gotten all the way there. Is this question related to me, or is this question related to, does it matter to the Golden Knights? Uh, does it matter to you first? Uh, yes, it definitely matters to me. I think that's one of the biggest problems that they've had. Is they haven't been able to quite figure out that way to get through 16 playoff wins, and they're hiring another guy that also has never figured out the way to get through there. But there aren't a ton of guys that have out there. When you really look at all the candidates, it was really just trots. And then if they wanted to go down the Quenville route, other than that, I guess Claude Julian, you know, back a while ago has done it. So to me, yeah, it does. I think for themselves, they're just looking for who, who, who is the best option out there. That's won the most games in the past. And, and they, I think they're really looking for a low risk option. I think they got that. Does it matter that Bruce Cassidy's Boston Bruins team have been excellent defensively in terms of goals allowed, expected goals, and all that at five on five, but have been average to maybe slightly above average offensively at five on five, which has seemingly been the Golden Knights' problems when they've gotten eliminated from the postseason. When they fired DeBoer, I was not 100% convinced that they were going to kind of do the old switcheroo thing where you you fire your defensive coach and hire an offensive coach or fire the players coach and hire a disciplinarian they, they really didn't seem like they were in line to go down that road and then they ended up not doing that and in many ways they hired someone who's very similar to DeBoer and a lot of different uh, characteristics that he has so um, I, I do think that they, their thought is we have been successful playing the way that we used to play which was this low shot volume against high shot volume for let's win and expected goals by a lot. And that'll you know, carry us through eventually. And that's what they ended up doing. So is it a problem? 
yeah, it potentially could crop up as something down the road, but at the same time, when they were at their best and when they were beating Colorado, who might go on and win the cup next week, you know, they, they were doing that same thing. So they can be good playing that way. All right. You said a second ago, uh, they, they went with a safe hire. Was that more of a priority for the front office than actually the best guy to help them win the Stanley cup? No, I mean, I, I think they're kind of one in the same in this case, like, there's, there's no way you can look at Bruce Cassidy and say, like, that's a bad hire. That's going to stand in the way of winning the Stanley Cup. Like, that, doesn't, that wouldn't really make a lot of sense. I think if you went the, the risky route with somebody younger or, you know, somebody who hasn't had any coaching experience or if they had just promoted the guy off their bench, then that's a little bit more risky and, you, you know, you could have gone that road. But I, I don't think that was a priority to go safe. I just think they were looking for someone with experience and, that's going to naturally come up looking fairly safe. Uh, how do you think Bruce Cassidy answers a question today about getting fired by George McPhee once before? Uh, he's going to say something along the lines that it was 20 years ago and it was probably a good decision to fire him. But that would be my <laughs> guess because it is so long ago. And, and he, he has kind of admittedly said like there were some things that he brought up. He brought up the players' families at one point uh, when he was in Washington saying that, Maybe they're concentrating more on their children and you probably don't want to say that. And I think he learned that over the course of the last 20 years. The problem is he was seemingly fired from Boston for having some issues with how he spoke about players. And then, you know, that was the same problem back in Washington. So I don't know how corrected it's gotten, but I do think he's just going to punt on it saying, Oh, that was a long time ago. If you were putting or setting an over under on how many seasons he's the head coach of the golden Knights, is it two and a half? Uh, I would set it at three and a half. Oh, that's a long time. What is he optimistic yeah, it is about this? Uh, the, the reason I set it at three and a half is because I think they're becoming more aware of where they're at, that they do not want to actually do this again. And it is certainly possible that, that he would be not here for that long. I think it's very possible that he's gone in a year. If things go south again, they could very well start over completely. But the most likely scenario is they're going to give him that full four years and then fire him after four. Wait, what's, what's your definition of South? Is that missing the playoffs or is that like getting bounced in the first round? Um, I don't even think it has to take that long. I think if they're like real bad out of the gate, someone's going, I would doubt that that's Cassidy because I, I, and this is actually a question that I'm going to ask. Hopefully they're not listening. I want to know how long the contract is. <laughs> they're not going to answer yeah. it, but I, I, I kind of uh, want to put them on the spot a little bit to have to try and answer that because you're asking the question too. Like how long is this going to last? Um, all right. Tell me this golden Knights win a Stanley cup with Bruce Cassidy. Why? Like what'll be the reason that he's the coach that wins a Stanley cup here in Vegas? Um, I think it's just going to be just the, the overall system of play. That's a little bit more. Um, I, I think it's a little bit more creative in the offensive zone. They're a little bit, I think that Cassidy's system generates the rush a little bit better. And we've seen that through the history of Boston, that their offense doesn't seem to completely dry up when they go to the playoffs, which has been a problem here. I think just the way that they play defensively is going to continue being what they've been very good at. And, you know, they weren't that far away. Like, yes, they were far away last season, but they weren't far away the two prior. And if they can get back to having that really good team defense 
and then add in a little bit of a wrinkle in their offense. He certainly seems like he's going to hit, fix the power play. Uh, their power plays have been phenomenal. Maybe that's just Boston's players, but it does seem like he's, he's got something going on there that if he can fix the power play, they get back to team defense, rush chances start to generate a little bit more in the playoffs. I, I see a, certainly a path that he can do it, but they're going to have to fix the roster before they get there. I don't know if this roster can do it. All right. What would they need to fix? And is that even possible this offseason with the roster? Unfortunately, probably not. I think the main thing that they need to fix is they got to find a way to actually be what they claim they want to be, which is a deep four line team that plays with pressure. You can't pressure a team when every third shift you're throwing out a line that you don't want out there. And that's probably not as good as the other team's line. If you watch the Stanley Cup final, there is not a bad line that goes over the board. There's not a bad pair of defenders that goes over the board. It's like, this is a problem that the Golden Knights are going to have because they are so top-heavy. And how they fix that is going to probably have to be in finding you, you know, useful players for extremely cheap prices. Uh, they found one in Ben Hutton, and I think he could have been their sixth defenseman and, and gotten away with it last year. They're going to have to find three or four of those as they pair off this roster, and then they're going to have to stay healthy the entire way because they, they simply cannot afford to lose a high-end player. Uh, they can't afford to lose one. Would they be better off doing that though, to give them more money to spend on the bottom pair and the bottom two lines? So you're saying LTIR wise, or are you saying actually trading well, somebody? Well, all right, we'll ask you this. How many games into the season until they're using long-term IR? Oh, I think they'll use it an opening night. <laughs> I just don't think it'll be significant, but I think they will use it probably right away. I, I think it might be only a couple million. Yeah. Well, that'll be fun. Um, <laughs> you don't think it'll be like Robin Leonard, Mark Stone, and Jack Eichel all start the year on long-term IR? Well, all signs point to it won't be all of them, but if they all were hurt tomorrow, I, I wouldn't shock me if they opted, opted to go that route. Oh, that'd be fun, wouldn't it? They could have like a whole other team on long-term IR. That happened one time. How'd that go? Eh, not very well. Not very well. No. They should have just no. kept trading for more guys, though. Well, they well. I'm trying to think. I don't know that they were. They ever had all that much extra space. I guess when you look at deadline space, they probably could have added like another three or four million dollar guy. That would have been the difference. Well, yeah, they were adding. You know, John Moore from Anaheim. He was going to help a lot. Nah, he was concussed. <laughs> I guess maybe if they had found like a like a Brandon Peary type, but not actually Brandon Peary, but someone who was just dominant at shootout. If they had had someone who could score a shootout goal, they would have got three more points and probably would have made the playoffs yeah. and then get bounced horribly in the first round by Colorado. Literally one guy that could score a shootout goal. It would have been a much different season. Yeah. Still bothers me. They didn't try some guys down the lineup. I, I still think Dylan Coglin should have shot zero shifts in game. Take the shot and shoot out. Why not? Would have been great. Was that the game? What did they go to 12 in that one? And the longest they went was seven. Seven. It was it was twelve total over over two or something. It like was that. seventeen over three. Yeah, over three. Yeah, that was fun. Yeah, that was a good. That's time. a lot. Poor Logan Thompson. Jesus. And he did well. I mean, he did <laughs> give up three. What a bum. <laughs> All right, he's Ken Bolke from Sinbin.Vegas. Ken, we appreciate it. Enjoy Bruce Cassidy's press conference today. See ya. Uh, I am curious to see. Ken said he's going to ask the question. I'm curious to see what the contract length is because I mean that was. Those were questions asked to Kelly McCrimmon when they announced they were firing Pete DeBoer was like, well, how long is the next guy going to be here for? Cause you've, you've fired two coaches two and a half years each. So how long is he going to be here and how long do they have a contract for? I, 
I assume he's getting a, you know, a normal four year contract. That's tends to be a normal average for NHL coaches, even though we don't get the usual details. I'm guessing it's not a two year deal. If you're Bruce Cassie, I don't think you take this deal. If it's two years, you're pushing for four, especially because you took it a week later. I'd assume everything's good for Cassidy. So I'll be curious to see if they answer that and how much people actually push on the idea of, Hey, you've been firing coaches rather quickly, despite going to conference finals. Does that end up mattering? All right, coming up next, we'll jump into Bischoff's Priest. But first, we got a pair of tickets to see three ice hockey at the Orleans Arena on June 18th. Six teams, six skaters, and one goalie, plus a Hall of Fame coach on each team. Find more information at threeice.com and win a pair of tickets right now. 702-364-1100 is the phone number. We'll take caller number three at 702-364-1100. You'll win a pair of tickets to go see three ice hockey at the Orleans Arena. Bischoff's Briefs. Son, I didn't understand a word you just said. Bischoff's Briefs. Hey, thanks. That is not a compliment. Ah, I disagree. Bischoff's Briefs. Okay, well, that was just a list of complete nonsense, but you're not totally wrong. Bischoff's Briefs. Couple of notes here in Bischoff's Briefs before we get into actual Bischoff's Briefs. Ed is gone. Ed is off to cover the Bruce Cassidy press conference. Starts at 10 o'clock. So Ed has ditched us. Uh, so say goodbye to Ed. He'll be back tomorrow, hopefully at a normal time. Also, we have tickets a little bit later to the Motley Crue show. It's Motley Crue, Def Leppard, Poison, Joan Jett, and the Blackhearts coming to Allegiant Stadium in September. We'll have tickets to that. So make sure you stay tuned. Um, also, um, yeah, you don't have to. Um, you don't have to watch Skip Bayless or pay much attention to him, but. He's incredible with some of the content he comes up with. He tweeted out this morning, if the Warriors win this title, should we discount it because the Celtics don't have a LeBron? Absolutely phenomenal tweet by Skip Bayless. One of the best tweets he's ever sent. Basically, the Warriors title shouldn't count if they don't have somebody as good as LeBron. When Skip Bayless has spent his entire television career telling everybody how LeBron is not actually good. Phenomenal tweet by Skip Bayless. He's unbelievable at what he does. Um, But today's Bischoff's Briefs. We're looking at UNLV basketball. Uh, Kevin Kruger, talk to Mike Kermal of the Las Vegas Sun. Uh, he said they're not in any rush to fill their last two scholarships. UNLV has two scholarships left. They can add two players to this roster. Kruger said, we're okay waiting. Right now, we want to make sure we add the right pieces to the team. With the foreign trip, I don't think we want to rush into anything and add people just to add them. Uh, UNLV is going on a foreign trip to Vancouver in August. Uh, That's the trip Kruger was referring to. Right now, if you look at UNLV basketball and having two scholarships left, I think the first thing to sort of look at in terms of, okay, they've got two open spots. What should they be doing? I don't know that they have an obvious need just simply by position. They have multiple options to play point guard. Both Keyshawn Gilbert and Jordan McCabe are back from last year. Jackie Johnson coming from Duquesne might be able to play some point guard as well. So there's multiple guys that can play the point guard spot. Uh, There are multiple wing options, right? They're bringing in Elijah Harkless from Oklahoma, Elijah Parquette from uh, Colorado. Uh, Justin Webster is back. Plus those point guards, if they're not playing point guard, can play off the ball as well. So there's multiple guys. 
They can play on the wing. And then they've got multiple options to play in the front courts uh, between Luis Rodriguez, the transfer from Ole Miss, Isaiah Cottrell, the transfer from West Virginia, plus returning David Mwaka and Victor Iwako. That's four guys that can play power forward and center. If Kevin Kruger wants to play with just one big most of the season, he's got plenty of options for that position. If he wants to play with two bigs, which I think we'll see some of both, but if he wants to play with two bigs, he's got four guys that can play there potentially. Now, not all of those players are going to work out, right? Not all of those players are going to be uh, in the rotation at the end of the season. Somebody's not going to be good enough. Somebody's going to get pushed out of the rotation, whatever it is. They're not ultimately going to have, you know, 10 guys that they know they can put out there and play well and be Mountain West contenders and NCAA tournament level team. It's just not realistic for a college basketball team to do that. So not all those guys are going to work out, but they have options that can play everywhere. Really the only one you'd say they maybe need another body is on the wing, but even then, like I am, I think Elijah Harkless is probably coming off the floor for like two minutes a night. Like he's going to be soaking up a ton of minutes there, which really only leaves one significant spot. And you've got multiple guys that could ultimately play there. So I don't think there's a position of need. I don't think there's any need for them to add uh, depth guys at this point. They've got five returning players that played last year. They've got five division one level transfers that have all played varying amounts of minutes, but have all played and they've got one on incoming freshman in Keyshawn Hall as well. I don't know if we should expect him to play much as a freshman, but he potentially could play as well. So I don't know that there's a need to add a player for depth. And that goes to what Kevin Kruger is saying. They don't need to add players just to add them. So the question becomes, okay, you're not going to go into this year, not using two scholarships. It's possible you go in, not using one, but I highly doubt they go in, not using two. That would be a waste of resources if you are Kevin Kruger. So the question becomes what type of player do they want to add or what type of player should they be looking to add and best case scenario they add a player that would be the best player on the team. Like it's not so much about depth or quantity. I think it's about quality at this point. The problem is I don't know if that guy is out there right now. There are still good players in the transfer portal, but I don't know the UNLV's in on any of them. I don't know how realistic the UNLV would get any of them, but that would be ideally what they're adding. And the example that I like to use and one that helped change the mountain West uh, over the past couple of seasons was Utah State and Nemesh Keda. He was a uh, questions about if he was going to be academically eligible, was being recruited by Power 5 schools, but most of those schools filled up their scholarships, and through the summer, he was still not really known if he was going to be eligible or not. Utah State held a scholarship open. Nemesh Keda became academically eligible. I think it was in August, and he ended up going to Utah State, and then he was the best defensive player in this conference while he was here, Utah State won a couple Mountain West titles, went to the NCAA tournament, or would have gone a few times, but COVID canceled one of them. Like They were a very good Mountain West team, and a lot of that was because Nemesh Keda and because they held that scholarship open for him. I don't know if that player exists, but it's worth holding one open given this current roster because they don't have any glaring needs. They don't have any obvious holes in the roster. If you can hold at least one open and Nemesh Keda falls into your lap, then all of a sudden it changes the course of this team and the course of this program for the next couple of years. But to expect that, I think, is probably wrong. To plan for it or hope for it, probably the right thing to do. To expect it is probably wrong, but that would be the best thing 
for UNLV to do. I am curious to see what does UNLV do if they don't get their Nemish Kata, if that type of player, that level of player doesn't fall to them in June, July, or August, or I guess even this could go into September, right? Like what happens if that player doesn't fall into their laps before the school year, before the season starts? Do they use, do they, because Kevin Kruger says they don't want to add people just to add them. At some point, you probably should add people just to add them, right? If we get into August and they still have two scholarships open, they should probably add people just to add them because it would not be a good use of resources to basically waste two scholarships, right? You're going to need bodies at some point throughout the season. You're going to have injuries, and it's better to have players than whatever walk-ons would be at that point. So I'm curious to see if we get to a point where they do add players just to add players or if there's a... There's a freshman that has some potential upside, but they're not really fully sold on it. Do they take a gamble on that at some point? Because, hey, they have two open scholarships. Might as well see if some freshman could come in and be a you know diamond in the rough breakout type of star. But that's where UNLV is right now with their roster. I do think you still look at it. And they probably need one and potentially two players better than anybody on the roster to be a legitimate NCAA tournament team. If they got... If you told me they added one player that was better than everybody else on the roster, I would say they've they've got a shot at the NCAA tournament. They've got a chance to contend for the Mountain West title. If they added two, then I'd probably say they're they're a lock to go to the NCAA tournament and they're one, two in the Mountain West. But that's unlikely. But I think that's what they need because right now, whether it's Keyshawn Gilbert or Jordan McCabe, a point guard, Elijah Harkless on a wing, uh, could it be Parquet on a wing as a defensive player? If you go Luis Rodriguez and... David Walker, whatever order you want, whatever starting lineup you want to put out there. I don't know that there's a true starting five that is a legitimate NCAA tournament team. Maybe the ceiling is like a bubble team that could sneak its way in with some close wins over good teams with a good schedule, good Ken Palm and all that good manipulation of the net. But I think that's sort of the ceiling of this team is a bubble team. Whereas the reality is this team is probably not going to be in the NCAA tournament. This team is probably not going to be on the bubble based on what they have right now, which ultimately will be a little bit of a letdown. I think even if we go into this year, not expecting the roster to be NCAA tournament level as a basketball coach nowadays to not go to the NCAA tournament two years in a row, it's not ideal when those are the expectations of your program. So it'll be curious to see what happens this year and what that would set up for year three of Kevin Kruger, because it is, I believe at UNLV, it is perfectly fair to expect any coach to walk in here and by year three be in the NCAA tournament. I think that should be the expectation. That should be the bar for a coaches. By year three, you should have an NCAA tournament level team at least one of those three years because of how much turnover there is. It should not take you multiple years to build up a program. All right, coming up next, J.R. Starkis joins the show. Ready for the weekend? Like I picked the wrong week to quit drinking. Let's find out what's on tap with J.R. Starkis. Champagne, perfume going in, sewage coming out. Hello, JR. How are you today? I'm good. Good morning. How are you? Good. Ed ditched us. He thinks he's got. I know. Go, I heard. Got to go cover a hockey press conference. Unbelievable. Is it? Is it bad that like literally when he was announced, I said, "Who? I have no idea who that is." That's probably bad on your part. Yeah. Yeah. All right. He's like I, this... I, I guess it just, it just goes to show you that like, I, and I've said it a thousand times. I am a Golden Knights fan and not a quote unquote hockey fan. <laughs> 
Um, I have I have not watched a single bit of hockey since the Golden oh. Knights got eliminated. Um, it's just I can't do it, man. I I can't do it. I just I I when I was behind the bar, it used to frustrate me. Like when I have all the TVs up, and some dude from like Pittsburgh would be like, "Hey, can you turn on the hockey game?" I'd be like, "Oh gosh, why would you want to watch that? I'd rather watch soccer," you know. Um, but uh, you know, it's just uh, now I enjoy watching the Knights play. I won't miss those games. But I, I can't watch it after that. So I, I really know nothing outside of, of the Knights until they become a Knight or a Knight employee. I, I really don't know anything about it. Like, everybody, like, you know, uh, Mark Stone, no idea who the hell he was until he played for the Knights. No idea whatsoever. Wait a minute. Are you telling me that bartenders are getting mad at me every time I ask them to put on some random soccer game? Oh, 1,000%. Like, it's, it's especially if you ask them to change. Like, now, if you ask them to change Sports Center. Fine, right? That's because that's that's the bartender's default garbage thing to put on the television because it needs to be on is Sports Center or some some you know like you know um, what's what's one of the other talking head shows that are on. Well, it doesn't matter. Um, but it's uh, you know but so but if you ask them to like change a baseball game, I, I would venture to guess that they're probably at least for me. I would I would rather watch Royals. Pirates than I would rather than I would watch uh, you know a hockey game back in the day Man. or even a soccer game. Brutal. Okay, I I don't think I've told I don't think I've told you this story. Uh, me and some of my friends went to watch a U.S. soccer game last year, okay. and they actually had the TV on the channel the soccer game was going to come on, but the problem was it was following a college football game. And the college football game, as always, ran long. And, like, we knew. We were like, oh, this is supposed to be over in 10 minutes, and they still have the whole fourth quarter to play. But, fortunately, U.S. soccer games are also aired on Spanish channels in the Mm -hmm. United States. And so, like, we knew this, and we knew exactly what channel it was. We asked our uh, waitress, could they put the TV on the Spanish channel? that the soccer game was going to come on, which we knew was like, I don't know if we're going to get this done, but I'm telling it's one of the funniest things that's ever happened. We watched as they went on the TV and tried to start changing the channel. They did not go to change the channel to a Spanish station. They went on and turned on Spanish subtitles. Fantastic. Left the college Fantastic. football game on, but gave us Spanish subtitles. It would have only been better if they left the college football game on, but flipped the other TV to the Spanish version of the soccer game and accidentally switched to that sound. <laughs> that would have been that would have been better if you know it's like you hear you hear uh, somebody making the call for for the you know Alabama and and Clemson game, and then all of a sudden it's something in Spanish for the USA soccer game. That would have been that would have I could have only imagined how how great that would have gone over. I don't care what part of the country you're in. It was fun. Um. I got a question for you, Red Sox fan. Red Sox, they're going to make the playoffs now, aren't they? Oh, man. They start off garbage every single year. And every single year, I talk all kinds <laughs> of crap about them. They always start off like trash. Um, they'll, they'll play well for a while. They'll have a streak. They'll have another part of the season where things were, where you, where, where I come on the show on a Thursday and you'll talk some smack because they lost nine in a row and they're seven games out or something. And then they'll have, make another streak and they'll make the playoffs. They'll beat the, they'll beat the, um, the Yankees. As usual, and then um, they'll probably lose in um, in the ALCS. AL, oh wow! You think they're making the ALCS? Oh yeah, yeah. They, they'll surprise us every single year. I mean, listen, the the the, the one year that I thought they were going to be the absolute worst, they won the World Series. I was, so yeah, yeah, the ALCS. So don't ask you how the Red Sox are going to do because you do not know. 
Yes, correct. I am the world's worst better, and this just goes to show that. Like, I am awful at it. So whatever the opposite of conventional wisdom is, bet that. Um, so I actually had a few bets last year for football. I don't bet much any, anyway because I'm, I'm awful at it. But I would go in to place my bet and say, okay, this is what I'm going to bet, and at the window completely flip to the other one just to see. And, yeah, and, and I would actually do better that way than I would if I just went with what I had thought I was going to bet. Okay, I have one stat that's specifically for you. Um, position players pitching. Uh, have a lot to do with this stat. This is the amount of pitches slower than 50 miles an hour uh, in Major League Baseball. So if you go back to 2008, there were seven. The entire year, there were seven pitches thrown at less than 50 miles an hour. From 2008 until 2020, the max in one season was 20 total pitches of 50 miles an hour or slower. Last year, 126 this year, and it's June sixteenth, one hundred and seventy-six. Amazing! So clearly, MLB executives are listening to this show. That's what's happening. And this segment, yes, this that is exactly what's happening. They're clearly listening to this segment and me saying how great it is to watch position players pitch in a blowout. They they have realized J.R. Starkus is right. We got to stop wasting uh-huh. our actual pitchers. Put the left fielder in there. Yeah, one of and, and this is it, it's free for them. Like they don't have to pay me. There's no consulting fee here, so it's it's a free <laughs> advice that they're taking and heeding. So, um, well done, MLB executives, for listening to this show on Thursdays to get the scoop on how you run your team. All right, what are you making for us? You got some sort of Arnold Palmer inspired drink? <laughs> yeah, you know it's it's you know on the golf course. I have a buddy that I play golf with and he loves Arnold Palmer's and it's kind of like the quintessential like golfer drink, the Arnold Palmer half lemonade, half iced tea. And, um, you know, the, the fun thing that people say is if you, if you add vodka to it, it's now called the John Daly naturally. Um, you know, so the, uh, but I wanted to take that drink and, you know, kind of try to make it a little more mixology for, uh, for the show. And, and it's a really simple way to do it. You kind of, kind of, kind of do the same thing because when you think about it, lemonade is nothing more than lemon juice, sugar, and water, right? That's what lemonade is. Iced tea is, you know, just tea leaves and water. So, uh, there's a lot of, there's a lot of water in this drink, but how can we take, how can we take it and make it a little more flavorful and something a little more mixology? So, uh, we are definitely going to use vodka and frankly, you could use vodka for it. You could use gin for this. You could use tequila for it if you want, but I, I like flavored vodka. I chose uh, Sky, Sky Peach for this particular one because peach tea really goes well together. Um, and then what I did is instead of using uh, regular iced tea, I made an iced tea, but then I made that tea into a syrup. So basically all you have to do is brew an iced tea, and it could be regular like Darjeeling or, or black tea that you would typically find in a, uh, when you go have lunch somewhere and you order an iced tea or some sort of flavor tea, could be mint tea, whatever you want it to be, brew the tea, but brew it a little bit longer than you typically would. If it says, like, if you're using hot water, that usually, like, when you brew hot tea, it'll say three minutes roughly um, for one bag of tea for eight ounces of water. You may want to go a little bit longer just to get a stronger flavor of the tea for this. Um, Generally, if you're just drinking tea by by going longer with uh, the hot water, it will make the tea turn kind of bitter. But in this particular instance, we are going to take the tea and make a syrup. So brew the tea, whatever one you, you feel like you want to do, 
And while it's still warm, take the tea and add an equal part of sugar. So if you have four ounces of warm iced tea, add four ounces of sugar. Stir it together. And basically what you've done once that tea has dissolved or once the sugar has dissolved is you've created a tea syrup. Okay. So this tea syrup is going to act as our sweetening agent and our tea flavor for our mixology version of the John Daly. So you would take a, uh, a large glass, something that holds, you know, 12 ounces or so, and fill it with ice. Now, there's no shaking necessarily needed for this. Um, you, you can build it right over ice. So you add first ingredient to the ice in your glass is an ounce and a half of the Sky Peach Vodka. Follow that by one ounce of your, your made uh, tea syrup. The key to this is uh, after you make the tea syrup, chill it. Like, don't, don't use the tea syrup while it's still hot because it'll melt the ice too quickly, um, thus watering down your drink too much. So after you make your tea syrup, make sure it's cold. And all the ingredients should really be cold here if, if you want the ideal um, if you want the ideal beverage for it. Uh, so one ounce of the iced tea syrup to the ice, or to the to the ice, followed by one ounce of lemon juice. Uh, so now we have the lemon and the sugar from the tea syrup. So we have two components of our lemonade that. I was saying that we were going to make. And the last ingredient is going to be a little bit of club soda, uh, fever tree club soda right on top, three to four ounces, just enough to fill the glass. That's the water part of our lemonade. So one and a half ounces of vodka, one ounce of our iced tea syrup, one ounce of fresh lemon juice, three to four ounces of fever tree club soda. This will give us a little bit of a sparkling element. Stir it all together just to get, make sure it's all incorporated. You can add a little extra ice if you need because the ice will, as you add each ingredient, melt down a little bit. Garnish it with a piece of mint, and voila, you have a bit more of a mixology version of the John Daly cocktail um, that would be fantastic for all through the summer. Uh, are you going to let people drink this on the Live Tour and the PGA Tour, or are you going to get suspended from one of them? Uh, well, I would let anybody drink it, but I feel like the Live Tour would be very open to this. <laughs> um, I feel like uh, the, the Live Tour is, is one of the greatest things to happen to golf in, the, in a very long time. I love the fact that one of the owners came out and said, hey, if anybody shoots, you know, 18 under, what is it, a 54 or whatever, yeah. that you're going to get like $50 million or something like that. I love that idea. Like this, this is what golf needs, man. Golf is, I like golf, but, um, you know, people say baseball is boring, but golf can be really boring too especially if you're just trying to watch it casually. Um, but adding like this component to it is great. So I feel like the live tour would definitely appreciate um, a couple guys trying to tee it up a little boozed up as well. Isn't that like 54 uh, shoot a 54, like been done like once ever on the PGA tour or something ridiculous. Like it's such a ridiculous score. Nobody's ever yeah. going to win the $54 million. Like it's, it's like but, but, a fake promotion. Right? No, it's, it, it is, but it's also like not, outside the realm of possibility, which, which is mentioned intriguing, like a hole-in-one contest. Like, hey, hey, get a hole-in-one, win this Lamborghini. Yeah, you're probably not going to do it, but somebody may. It's not entirely impossible. It's just going to take a tremendous amount of luck, which is what I love about it. Now, if they said, shoot in the 40s, you get, you know, then, yeah, okay, you, nobody's ever done that. It's probably, it's not going to happen. But a 54, 18 under, like, yeah, it, it couldn't, it, it's probably not going to happen if, if at all anytime soon. Um, but the possibilities with the tremendous golfers that are out there, you never know. Some of these golf courses can be set up so easy, relatively speaking to the professional golfer that, you know, they, they just make a run at something or, you know, if imagine being 
16 under going into the 18th hole at a par five. Guess what? Guess who's going for it in two, right? No matter what, you're going for it. I, you, you have to. Um, so I, I love, I love, I love this idea. J.R. Starkus, uh, find all the drinks he makes for us here and his Instagram, J.R. Makes Drinks, key account executive with Southern Glazers Wine and Spirits and our extreme mixologist. J.R., thank you so much. You got it, guys. Talk to you next week. So there is J.R. Starkus. And now we've got tickets to give away. Motley Crue, Def Leppard, the stadium tour with Poison and Joan Jett and the Blackhearts coming to Vegas Friday, September 9th. Tickets are on sale now at Ticketmaster.com. But you can win a pair from us right now. 702-364-1100. Call that number. Be caller number 11. 702-364-1100. You'll get tickets to go see Motley Crue, Def Leppard, Poison, and Joan Jett and the Blackheart. 702-364-1100. We're back to the press box with Grady and Bischoff. Ed ditched us. Bruce Cassidy's press conference is coming up in a few minutes. By the way, if you want to hear that, Fox Sports Las Vegas, our sister station, is going to carry it. Ryan Wallace will be um, hosting that. That is 98.9 FM, 1340 AM. If you're driving around and want to hear Bruce Cassidy's introductory press conference, that is starting at 10 o'clock. So right when we get off the air, you can flip over and hear from the new head coach of the Golden Knights as his introductory press conference is getting underway very, very soon. Danny, is Rory McIlroy about to just win every PGA Tour tournament for the rest of time? I don't know. I know right now he's currently in the lead, or at least tied for the lead of the U.S. Open. However, there was a clip going around about an hour ago of him trying to hit out of a bunker, and his shot went eight feet into the next bunker, and he started beating his uh, club against the ground. And he's still in first place, so he's great. And he's still in first place. He's good to go. He is uh, four under. Uh, still has a couple holes left to finish out. The uh, There's a couple guys tied at three under that have already finished their day. But uh, I, okay, I sort of love the Rory McIlroy. Like, he is very publicly outspoken about the Live Tour. I love that he's publicly outspoken, and just him being awesome at golf for the next, like, however long this lasts is tremendous. We'll, we'll see if it lasts through the weekend. Right. I mean, it'd be tremendous if he wins the U.S. Open and he continues to just trash talk everybody that's left the PGA for, for LIV. But it'll also be interesting to see if he doesn't keep this up and he sees more and more people going to the the live tour, which <laughs> happens every day. More people are going. And what's is he just going to stay on the PGA and not make money? I mean, if everybody keeps going, he'll keep winning the PGA tournaments by default. Yeah, I guess that's true. He'll be, he'll you'll, be playing you'll a be bunch on the of PGA amateurs. tournament soon. Oh, yeah. It'll be you and your Mario Kart friends out there finishing oh, second through 30th. A couple of my Mario Kart friends are going golfing. <laughs> <laughs> we're going uh monday uh do you know the answer to this the people that got suspended by the pga tour they're mostly able to play in the u.s open yes okay. because uh i believe they can actually play in all of the majors right because the majors are not put on by the actual pga tour they're put on by the host events and the u.s open as its name implies is it is open. put on by the u.s the usga right and but it's open meaning yes. like you and I could go qualify for it if we, right? We, we got to actually be good at golf, but like conceivably, yeah, you could just win tournaments to qualify. But the, uh, I believe his position is commissioner, the 
commissioner or equivalent, whatever his role is of the U S open actually came out and said, even though this year they're playing, he can see a point in the future where they won't be able to play for the U S open. So they could suspend them basically. Yeah, they could. I don't know if they would because don't think they would either. That's kind of why would they care which tour exactly they play on? Like the PGA, like the PGA tour makes sense because they, they, they view it as a rival, basically, right? Like this is a competing league, right? So you'd be like, no, we're not going to be like an NFL team letting players play in the XFL or something like that, which they wouldn't do. I still think players should be able to play for both leagues. It would be both great. tours. Yeah, absolutely. Because the live tour only has eight events. They have one event a month for the next four months or three months. And then the majority of their events take place in September and October. I mean, ideally, yes. But if you're the PGA tour, I, I, I understand if you're the PGA tour, I don't think you can let guys right, play on this tour yeah, when it, the money is so much. Yeah. And it's like, oh, uh, because it's, I mean, we talked about it. It's a, I don't know how legitimate it is, but there's so much money that it's like this might actually work if the people that own this are willing to like lose money for a little while because of how much money's involved. If you're a golfer, you you can't ignore it. You're going to make so much money playing golf there.